Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, and I'm very glad to have you with us for today's show. I'm joined today, as I am on most Tuesdays, by Kevin Riley, the boss, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How are you doing today, Kevin? Bill, I'm excited to be here. I, since you told me about the plan for this show, yeah. I've been really looking forward to well, it. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that, because here's one of the things that I want to say in introducing our panelists. I, you and I have both been journalists for a long, long time. I think we both consider ourselves to be relatively well-informed about many issues. I don't know for sure about you, but when I hear especially the Democrats debate, as we're going to hear on November 20th, and they start talking about Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all, uh, Pete Buttigieg says, well, no, we need a public option. We need a combination of both when I hear, well, but of course we need uh, universal health care, maybe a single-payer system. I really don't understand the way I'd like to exactly what they're talking about, which is why we have our panel today. Right. And this is going to be really informative. And I can't think of two better people to be here for this. Uh, One of them is uh, your own AJC healthcare reporter, Ariel Hart. How long have you been writing about healthcare issues for the AJC? A couple of years. A couple of years. Yep. All right. Uh, You're going to help us unravel these terms, which we hear about, maybe think we understand, but we'll learn more about today, right? We'll do my best. Okay. And Andy Miller uh, is with us again. Uh, He, of course, is the founder and the editor of Georgia Health News. So these two are two of the best healthcare journalists in the South, and I'm glad they're here to help us unravel things. So let let me start. Sam Bermas-Dawes, our producer, found just a couple of pieces of data that I think are an interesting way to set up this show. He, he looked at a Kaiser Family Foundation poll on, that tried to ascertain how much people know about these health care proposals. And just I'm going to read just two of the, the, the figures that he came up with. 55% of the people who were polled thought that if they're covered through their jobs, they'd be able to keep that coverage even if Medicare for all was passed. But, of course, we know that's not the case. And almost 70 percent of the people who were polled thought that they would continue to pay deductibles and co-pays on Medicare for all, uh, even though we know that that's probably not the case either. So so there's a lot of misunderstanding. Right. So let me start with you, if I may, Ariel. First of all, something very basic. Throughout all of the conversations we hear from Democratic presidential candidates, a common theme is we need universal coverage. Maybe that's self-explanatory, maybe not. What does it mean, universal coverage? That just means everybody has coverage for health care. And universal coverage can mean all kinds of things. And it's really important to separate the difference between Um, coverage, the fact that everybody gets coverage, and then how you pay for it, Mm. one way of which would be Medicare for all. Andy, um, so that is self-explanatory, but how you get to universal coverage is where we start dealing with all of these different plans, right? Right. And and, uh, don't forget, Obamacare came about, and it did make a dent in the number of uninsured Americans that there are out there. Uh, Unfortunately, we're seeing the trends kind of go a different way. Here in Georgia, for example, uh, our latest uninsured rate is now the third highest in the country at 13.7 percent, I believe. And it's going up. It's going up slightly, but it's going up. And it's going up for children as well. It's more than a million people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let me just ask this again, because, you know, one of the reasons we're talking about this is the whole healthcare debate is so fraught with with political uh, opinions and confusion. No one is really against universal health care. True or not true? Well, it's true to an, to an extent, although, you know, clearly the Democrats are trying to extend coverage. All these plans, whether it's a public option, Medicare for all, they would like to see more people covered. And uh, I don't think the Republicans are necessarily against that. But but clearly the Dems are going to be pushing that much more than Donald Trump will be in, in the uh, election campaign. 
And when you say no one's against universal coverage among Democrats, I don't know. That might be true. I think you're going to have a much harder time when you get to the centrists who are under pressure from the right over, well, do I have to provide that coverage with my taxes if you don't have a job, that's where things start to get dicey. Well, that's why I asked, because, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen, no matter what party a politician belongs to, anyone stand up and say, I don't want you to have health coverage, or I don't care if you have health coverage. It's really a question of how to pay for it. Well, I I would jump in and say that, of course, a politician of any party is going to say, yeah, I want everybody to have health care. but that. Access. access. That's the but, difference. But th- there you go. So, yeah. so what do they mean when they say access? When they say access, when Tom Price says everyone should have access, that means you should have the ability to work for, pay for, uh, get a job and acquire a health insurance that allows you to get health coverage. It doesn't mean I want to make sure that the government does whatever we have to do as a society to make sure that if you need to go to the doctor, you go to the doctor. Um, you know, the American Medical Association's branch in Texas went so far went so far as to pass a resolution saying that health care is not a right. It's a privilege. So well, it just depends on it really depends on where you stand on the spectrum. If nothing you think represents it or not. our political philosophical divide maybe better. In this issue is what I hear you saying, right, Andy? And it's the number one issue that Americans will talk. Their number one concern, their number one problem is not the economy right now. It's health care. And, and think about what time uh, of the year we're going through because uh, it's open enrollment season coming for the exchange. It's open enrollment for people with uh, health care through their jobs. And, you know, people are opening these packets and seeing, okay, what's the bottom line here? Typically, it's premiums are going up. Typically, it's deductibles going up. So it's it's a... kitchen table issue for Americans. All right. But, you know, Ariel, you put your finger on something that I'd love to talk about just for a couple minutes, and that's this notion that health care is a right or it is not a right. And that tends to be something that's divided along partisan lines. Um, Is it fair to say that other countries have done a better job of of living by the notion that health care is a right than we have here? I I think there's no question about that. Um, You know, especially some Western European countries have done a not bad job of making sure that everybody has basic medical care and, you know, you have a baby, you break a bone, you go to the hospital and you don't worry about what that means for your house payments. All right. And they spend a lot less money exactly. than the and United States of America. That's the kicker. And we don't get as good at outcomes, <clears throat> right. such as immunizations and infant mortality, as some of these other yeah. countries are spending less than we do. So that outcomes question, because to me, that's another thing that gets confused in the debate, right, about better outcomes, worse outcomes, the same outcomes. First of all, for either one of you, what does that mean exactly? And when you say we don't get as good outcomes, Andy, what what like what are you basing that on? Uh, there have been uh, studies across countries that sh- compare us with other Western European countries that show us that we don't have as long a life expectancy as other countries. We don't have the same access to primary care. We have an uninsured problem, which none of these other countries do have. Uh, it's infant mortality. It's maternal mortality. Those are the outcomes you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yes. All right. So let me go back. All right. Let's start talking about some more terms. Um, I think it would be really helpful for us. Uh, we all know what Medicare is, I think. Uh, passed, I think, some 54, 55 years ago. Basically, it provides health care coverage for people 65. Is it start the buy-in age, or is it younger than that these days? No, it's 65, but okay. if you have a disability, you, you can get it at an earlier age. Okay, and so we've all been paying a portion of our incomes, if we get a paycheck, into Medicare, but the government also obviously covers a big chunk of of the cost for the health care we get. All right, so we know what that is. Andy, 
Why do we call it Medicare for all? I mean, first of all, what does that mean, Medicare for all? And why do we choose to use the word Medicare to describe what it is? And in some ways, it feels to me like that sort of throws me a little off to hear it described as Medicare for all. Well, let me start off by saying that Medicare is an extremely popular program. Mm. There are people in Medicare that most of most beneficiaries do not want to go back to the private insurance. When they get to be 65, they're happy. And I, I've interviewed, and Ariel probably has too, many people in their 60s who can't wait to get there because they're kind of lost in the, in the private insurance system. But what Medicare <laughs> for all, uh, what Bernie Sanders advocates and advocates and Elizabeth Warren, it basically is let's get rid of private insurance and everybody is is put into that Medicare program. The only issue with, well, a politi- big political issue there is you're going to tell 150 million Americans who get private insurance that, hey, you're switching. You're going to it. You, you know, we're changing your deal. And that's a tough sell. Yeah, Ariel, that's a huge stumbling block. I, I think I'm right that most surveys show that, that people who do have some form of group insurance through their employer are really happy with their group insurance. And, and so it could be very off-putting to some folks to be told, sorry, we're wiping out your private insurance because we're going to a government-run system. Yeah, certainly. And that's why I think uh, Kamala Harris said she changed her position to want to include um, the ability to have some kind of uh, private options within her "Quote unquote Medicare for all" system. Well, let me let me ask about that though. Um, both of you have said and obviously reported on this that people object if they're in a private insurance program. Why? They like it. They they don't want the government telling them what to do. I mean, what's the what is the objection? I I think that there are many people in the private insurance world who. Uh, don't like these deductibles that they're getting. They don't like the fact that they can't go to this doctor or that doctor. So so they do have issues with what they have. But this is such an emotional, financial, political issue for people just to say, we're going to take this away and we're going to give you something better, but we're gonna, they're going to take something away. And I think that's a personal issue. Uh, People have have problems with that. It's just you know it. Remember the run up to Obamacare. There there was all these all this talk about you know death panels, <laughs> and the government's going to take over health care. Remember how many people were scared by that? Change yeah. is scary, but I also I also think there's something very American about saying you know I have some money here and this is how I want to spend it. Yeah. This is the plan I want. Yeah. I do think I wonder if we're at a tipping point where. Uh, premiums are so high and deductibles are so high that if you put the two choices in front of the person who's got an anthem plan or whatever and said, okay, your um, all of these, uh, you know, the out-of-pocket that you've got, the out-of-pocket you don't even know you've got because your employer is withholding massive amounts of money from your salary for this, all that's going to go away. And this is how your taxes will go up. You know, I, I, if they could actually see the dollar figures and what it means for them every month, if there might be a different choice. Well, and that's – go ahead, finish your Yeah, but, but it, it still is just a heavy lift to change something so – like Andy was saying, so fundamental, so emotional. All right. So I, in, in introducing the show, I said we we're going to talk about the politics of health care. So to put it in a more part- through a more partisan lens right now – Obviously, one of the concerns that uh, many people are going to have when they hear um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren talk about Medicare for all is where how the heck we pay for this. Now, Sanders actually has within his plan uh, figures for how he he's got a formula for how he wants to pay for it, whereas Elizabeth Warren is struggling just a little bit now because she's hedging. On that, she's saying, "Well, in the long run, you won't have to pay the premiums." You're, you know, she's 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 fudging it a bit. Uh, so that's a huge issue, isn't it? Of course, it's a huge issue. I mean, that is the issue. How do you pay for it? Nothing is free. Healthcare certainly. What is does not Bernie free. Sanders want, want to do? He wants four percent tax, I think, on incomes down to twenty nine thousand. And, um, and Bernie's argument, right? Would uh, help me out here. Would be, if we do this right. 
your what you, what's coming out of your paycheck to pay for your insurance with your employer might even be more than the 4% that you right. would get in an increase in taxes. But one, one question, if we could go back to the objection to Medicare for all, doesn't part of it come from the private insurance industry as well? <laughs> I mean, um, we, we, you know, that's a big part of this, right? And, and those are powerful, big companies that spend a lot of money lobbying as well. Yeah, and it's also medical providers because they, like a hospital, will for a typical surgery, they'll get a lot more money if the patient is privately insured versus if that patient has Medicare or Medicaid. They'll get a lot more money under private insurance. All right, so let's go back to, if you don't mind, some definitions here. Um, I assume Medicare for all or whatever you want to call it, uh, is a uh, automatically is a single payer system, right? We hear that expression all the time, single payer. That means one payer, the government, d- does it all, right? That's the idea. Okay. Um, the issue, though, then, is you get into basically Medicare for all is, is just advertising. It's a way of describing a government plan that you want. Well, to, because Andy said yeah. Medicare is so popular, so pop- that's yeah, why so, you would call yeah, it Medicare for all. Yeah, nobody's calling it Medicaid all. for all. Right. <laughs> right. They're not um, calling it, we pay for medical care for America's old people. Right. Exactly. We should do it for more people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Ariel. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it is whatever they want to make it. And um, so, like, uh, there would be big differences um, between Medicare and what they call Medicare for all, depending on the person who's drawing up the plan. Kamala Harris, she would not have a 4% tax down to 29000 I think she'd have a tax down to, what is that, $100,000 yeah, income like or that. something like that. Um, and then also she would say, okay, more than just Medicare or the government payer, we will have some very strictly regulated private options within there. Um, I think Warren and Sanders would go the other route and say, no, you know, we're just going to have the one payer so that you don't have a, um, a special track for people who can afford the private option. But I think Republicans are waiting to pounce yeah. on on whatever candidate emerges if that candidate is a single-payer or Medicare-for-all person. And what will they pounce on? I mean, I think I know the answer. Taxes. To. Your taxes are going to go up is what they're going to say. Right, That's right. Say. Even though it's going to be very options. hard. It's going to be – it may be correct that you could argue – against that, that ultimately you'll be paying less through the, you know, your employer will be paying uh, less, and so your wages will go up. There, There's an argument there. But the fact of the matter is, when the Republicans are just to say this is going to be government-run health care, and it's going to raise your taxes, and that's going to be a hard argument to counter. Two expressions that Republicans love to pounce on, government-run and your taxes will go up. I mean, you already see the campaigns unfolding. Right. And they'll they'll talk about socialized medicine yeah, as well, yeah, which is yeah. another term that, that's out there where, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Great Britain system where the doctors and, ho- and hospitals are, are paid by the government and that type of thing. And uh, I wonder if it's Elizabeth Warren who emerges as as the candidate, whether she will move more toward the center and toward what Biden is proposing and Buttigieg and Klobuchar. Thank you. That's the next thing we need to talk about. Well, we hear from Buttigieg, especially in this last debate, he was very forceful in the way he talked about it, is um, we need a public option. So I want to make sure I understand the starting point of that. I think Buttigieg would say, let's retain the best of Obamacare, but let's add to that a public option. Government mm-hmm. coverage for, for let's say, uh, typically somebody 50 and over that doesn't qualify for subsidies in the exchange, that doesn't have employer-based insurance but is getting killed on the health care costs. They may have a $10,000 deductible, whatever. Yeah, another government-run system, whether it's through Medicare, whether it's through Medicaid or something new, some some new government option. Okay, so the concept is here I am. I buy my insurance on the Obamacare exchanges. Um, and, and I'm going to go do that under the Judge plan. But when I look at enrollment time at the cost, that the, the exchange costs are just too much. As we've already discussed, the deductibles are too high. Then Judge would offer me a government-run public option, right? Right. And, and 
interestingly, that would probably be for the higher income people. Why? Um, because on the exchange, if you make um, lower income, anywhere from 100 to 400 percent of the federal poverty level, you qualify for federal assistance that can make those um, plans really great, really affordable, $10 a month, $100 a month. The closer you get to 400 percent of poverty level, which for a family of four is about $100,000, the, you know, that assistance goes away and then you start looking at the $1,000, $2,000 premiums. And so those are the people that are dying for an alternative. <laughs> they can't wait to be 65. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> well, let, let me ask a question because, right, there are two, and I, I don't know if I'm going to throw our discussion off, but there are two or I should say, I guess, three big government-run health insurance programs. There's Medicare, which we've been talking about. There's Medicaid, which we've talked about a lot in this show. We can't, we can't uh, uh, get into that right now. And then there's the VA system, right? So why is Medicare so popular and apparently relatively well-run? And meanwhile, we keep writing all these stories about how troubled the VA system is. In other words... You know, I see that as something people are wondering, like, I can't trust the government on this health care thing, but Medicare does work right. It, it, it's interesting that you're right. Medicare is, is has tremendous popularity. It's kind of like Social Security in that way. No one wants to get rid of it. And uh, the, the costs for the, for the government are substantial, but for the consumer, not so much. Uh, the deductibles are kind of locked in at what they are. And uh, you can choose as a consumer to go straight government-run Medicare, or you can choose a plan through a private insurer. Still Medicare, but it would give you a little bit more benefits as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 one of those things where, again, that, that once they, people get into it, they, they tend to really like it versus their old private insurance. I mean, my guess would be that it works better because the coverage is so broad, you can't, it's, it's easier to fail a group of 500,000 people than it is to fail a group of millions of elderly people who vote. Right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't cover nursing home costs as much as Medica Medicaid, Medicaid does. Yeah. That's one gap, long-term care. But Bernie, Sanders, but Bernie Sanders' new version of his Medicare for All plan offers services that I was surprised he's included in his proposal, long-term care, which is I, I would have never expected to see a candidate for president say the government ought to add long-term care to a plan that seems a very uh, uh, interesting. You're shrugging like well, I'm... no, I mean it's it's needed. I think sure, it's a, but... there, we're, we're increasingly seeing all kinds of news coverage of the desperate plight, not just of the older people, but of the families who have to take care of them. Yeah, my with point isn't no that resources. It, oh, I'm sorry. My point yeah. isn't that it might not be a wonderful thing to it's add. Just so it's just ex so expensive. So much yeah, need. Even is. you know, we're not talking. Yeah, we're not talking the cost of having a, an RN, a nurse at your house. We're talking even just having, um, you know, a qualified aide at your yeah. house is going to be $500 yeah. a day. All right. Before, we're going to have to get to a break. But before we do, Kevin, one of the things that's interesting to me, uh, and, and I, we, we don't have to, there's not a lot we can say about it, but we should say something, is that since that fateful night or early morning in the United States Senate when John McCain turned his thumb down on the uh, effort to overturn ACA, Obamacare, we've really heard no further significant word from Republicans about any kind of alternative, to the best of my knowledge, or if they've talked about it, they haven't talked about it very loudly. The, the new plan so far coming from Democrats, it'll be interesting to see how Republicans counter if they do at all. Right, and we know. I mean, aside from just attacking whatever the Democrats are, and we know it's a big issue. I mean, really, if you if you talk to people about how Lucy McBath got elected, she got elected more so, many believe, on the health care issue than the gun issue, which was which was more her issue. And I, I, I isn't, but they're still they're still trying to undo Obamacare in the courts, right? I mean, that's that case is yes. still yeah, right, alive. still out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that, but still, Andy, fine. Keep working on undoing it in the courts, but during a 2020 elections, let, let's say the courts did in fact unwind Obamacare sometime during the 2020 presidential election. What are Republicans going to offer? What will President Trump, as a re-election candidate, what will David Perdue, as a re-election candidate, 
what are they going to run on except for saying stay away from the Democrats? Their plans are all ridiculously expensive. Fundamentally, one of the biggest problems Republicans have had on this issue is the fact that they have not had a credible alternative. And, and the, the bottom line is, what's your plan? How many people will it cover and how much will it cost? And they have not been able to answer that question comprehensively. Right. Ariel, last word before the break. You agree with what uh, uh, he just said, Andy just said? Yeah, I, absolutely. The fact that the Republicans haven't been out front on health, on uh, repealing Obamacare anymore is not an accident. It killed them, and I think they're going to have trouble. When we come back from the break, uh, Andy, you already referred to the fact that we're in the enrollment period for the Obamacare uh, uh, exchanges. I want Ariel, you wrote a really good uh, a primer on that in the AJC. And I want to give you just a second or two when we come back to, uh, well, more than a second or two, <laughs> give you a little time to talk about what we're going to look for as enrollment opens. This is Political Rewind. That car of yours you no longer need. What to do? Selling it can be a hassle. Consider donating it to support this station. It's easy. Pickup is free. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. And you could even get a tax deduction. Get the process started today. Give us a call to learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. And thanks. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Under pressure from the Trump administration, Mexico has stepped up deportations of migrants along its southern border. The southern border of Mexico has become the most effective wall Donald Trump wanted. I'm Mary Louise Kelly. More on the immigration crackdown this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 7 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Andy Miller, Georgia Health News, Ariel Hart, healthcare reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and Kevin Riley in the studio today. And we're doing one of our special editions in which we focus on a single topic, in this case, healthcare and politics. Uh, Ariel, I mentioned before the break, you've just written a piece saying it's time to enroll in uh, the Obamacare uh, uh, markets. Uh, First of all, I'm fascinated by the fact that despite all of the talk about how it keep, costs keep going up and up and up, it, I think we're going to, in fact, get a cut this time. It's a little sort bit of, of a reduction in prices, yeah? Yeah. So I think what we're seeing is that the market is uh, stabilizing in Georgia. And really the only way to look at that is that it has been so turbulent and prices have skyrocketed so badly that um, – that the damage was already done. So um, we've got very high prices, like a lot of places in the country, but they didn't have to rise a lot more this year for insurers to make sure that they made money. So tick off for us a few things people need to know as they look to enroll on the exchanges this year. Okay, so um, the first thing you do is... um, Do not Google search Obamacare or Affordable Care Act. You will get every fly-by-night company known to man. Go to healthcare.gov. That's the federal exchange website. That's the first thing to know. And you can do that right now uh, under window shopping. The actual uh, buying has not started yet. Um, when is the when is the enrollment period actually open? Pretty it, soon. Yeah, right? it starts on Friday, okay. uh, November first, gotcha. and it goes six weeks through December fifteenth. And so, um, right now is a good time to go to healthcare.gov, uh, or you know, if you need if you need that help, there's a lot of a lot of places that you can get reliable help. But we can give you in a second. And um, the great thing about that particular website is that it lists the plans. And it lists the amount you'll really pay for them after you plug in your salary and the amount of people in your household. That's really the key information. Because um, what you don't want to do is, is you know, if you've got an income of $29,000 a year, uh, plug in how much is a, you know, a, a silver plan and get back hundreds or thousands of dollars a month. Because that's not what you'll be paying after, yeah. after you get subsidies. Yeah. Andy, how you had a, 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 a disturbing and interesting figure about the number of percentage of uninsured in the state of Georgia now. Um, how is ACA working for people here? We know that the Trump administration uh, cut back on uh, on, on uh, money that was put into navigators, advertising for ACA. Um, and I can only assume that's had an impact on people signing up or not signing up. 
Well, I think uh, our challenges are, uh, in terms of coverage, one of the biggest ones is we haven't expanded our Medicaid program. And the states that have done that have seen their uninsured rates go down. Uh, Obamacare, it's interesting. I mean, we've been hearing about the the death of Obamacare for years, and it it keeps on ticking. And uh, as Ariel points out, you know, that we have more insurers in our state now offering Obamacare insurance. Uh, and the pre- average premiums nationally are going down. One of the big uh, stumbling blocks, and I was talking to somebody in another state about this, he pays zero premium. Uh, he does not get any job-based coverage. He pays zero premium. But his deductible is $7,000. <laughs> okay. And, and that... For for someone who's living paycheck to paycheck, that can be a, an incredible problem. Yeah. And uh, so that's where I would say it's not working altogether well in terms of that bottom line out-of-pocket cost. But one thing I'll say is before Obamacare, if you had a health condition, a uh, pre-existing condition, you would be charged a lot more out there on the individual market, and now that's gone away, and that's the big success of Obamacare. Um, all right, Kevin, let, let me, before we move on to, we're going to talk about Medicaid expansion in just a moment here, because we're coming to an important couple of weeks here in Georgia when uh, Governor Kemp's going to reveal to us what his plan in, in asking for waivers is going to be for expanding Medicaid, at least in a limited way. Before we get to that, I want to go back to the politics of the Democrats and their plans. Again, I feel like I pay attention. I feel like I'm, you know, in, in, involved in what's going on out there. But I got to tell you, I watch the Democrats in their debates, and I don't know how I would pick a candidate if what I were choosing on is simply their health care proposal, because I still find it, despite really clear uh, 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 explanations coming from from Andy and Ariel, I'm still not certain. What I guess I'm saying, and I'm using too many words, is I don't know how you sell your plan, you know, on a bumper sticker. Well, no, I actually <laughs> think that that this represents, you know, both the opportunity and the difficulty on the Democratic side, and it's this. Healthcare is a winning issue for Democrats, without question. And you just mentioned pre-existing conditions, and unbelievably popular, right? That that people, no one ever thought it was right that if you had a pre-existing condition, you're going to have trouble that, getting insurance. Well, that's easy. That's yeah. a bumper sticker. Right. Save pre-existing conditions, and, and and it works. Right. And so what you have going on is um, these really bold proposals, you know, by the the people for this left that say. Everybody should have insurance. Here's my plan for that. And that, that we, as we've talked, gives people pause. The real problem is to solve this problem takes a lot of nuance, as we've heard from these guys who understand it deeply. And in a debate environment, and certainly in a debate with the president when that time comes, nuance is not the tool of our current debate. Uh, structure. And I think trying to develop those bumper sticker phrases or trying to get people to latch on to something that not only makes sense, but can actually be accomplished. It's exactly right. I mean, people understand uh, lowering prescription drug costs. Sure. That's something everybody, Republicans, Democrats all want to see that. But when you get into things like Medicare for all, public option, universal coverage, uh, you're right. It's not on a bumper. You can't put it on a bumper sticker unless you frame it like choice, more choice, less cost, something like that. But it will be a difficult thing for Democrats to message once they get past the primaries and get into the general election. Whereas Ariel will be simple for Republicans. Too much. They, government-funded health care. Yep. Socialized medicine. Socialized taxes. medicine. Right. Yep. Let's move on, uh, because uh, you gave us an opportunity to, uh, by talking about the fact that uh, we don't, Andy, have Medicaid expansion in this state yet. Ariel, Governor Kemp has had a team working on these Medicaid waivers, which 
You explain what it means to a Medicaid waiver. You I think do it, it might be. I mean, I know this is so elementary, but the difference between Medicare and Medicaid, I mean, again, those terms get confused all the time, and it's worth taking just a moment, right, Ariel, to explain for people what the difference is. Yeah. I mean, on, a, on the simplest level, Medicare generally covers the elderly or people over 65. Medicaid generally covers the poor with a bunch of um, additional exceptions. And so in Georgia... Um, our one of our big problems is that the very poorest, the people who make from zero to about twelve thousand dollars a year, um, unless their kids have no coverage. There's a childless adult in this state does not have Medicaid, does not have any poverty coverage because we did not expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. So, <laughs> so a Medicaid waiver is it can be anything. Yeah. Um, uh, technically, um, um, under the Affordable Care Act, you go to the federal government as a state and say, "We Georgia would like to do something a little bit different, tailored to our state, with Medicaid." Um, and there can be little things. Georgia already has some Medicaid waivers for little things. Or you can say, you know what, we're thinking we might like to expand Medicaid, but not to everybody, not under the, not under the standard rules. Maybe we'd like to um, expand it to people who meet these criteria. Or, as some conservative states have tried to do, people who have a job or um, some kind of work requirement. So... We're waiting to hear. The governors have this team in place, Andy. They've been looking at what kind of waivers, with his, I'm just, certainly with the governor's input. And we think, I think, Andy, we expect it next week that we're going to hear what these waiver uh, proposals are, right? It's very closely held. It's, it's yeah. a, I mean, I'm sure Ariel and I have talked to, tried to talk to people about what are they going to come up with. Uh, I think it's safe to say that there will be some coverage expansion, and it's pretty safe to say that they will try to get some kind of uh, different rules for the exchange or the marketplace. Uh, how many people will be covered and, and what those rules will be, we don't know yet. Uh, I'm sure the Democrats will be sitting on the sidelines waiting to say something like, well, if you expand Medicaid you'll cover more people and it'll cost less. That's what the Democrats will say. So it'll be Kemp's challenge and the Republicans' challenge to sell their plan uh, versus what the Democrats' criticism yeah. will be. I mean, it's, in a way, the governor's challenge is the same as the Democrats nationally in the debate, is whatever he's going to suggest, a little complicated, little nuanced, not standard, and how you talk about it, invites attack from the other side, right? And I think it will be. Uh, but there are some people who would say, there's some advocates, patient advocates, who have said to me, they said, look, some expansion of coverage is a good thing. Even if it's not what we want, it will still cover. I talked to a HIV adv activist advocate who said, even if they only go up to 100% of poverty in this waiver, it will cover a lot of people who don't have insurance now. Okay, now let's go back a step because you we do have some sense. You talked about one part of the waiver could very well have to do with people on the exchanges. We do have some signals from the governor who has suggested that one of the waivers he'd like to put in place is one that would help subsidize costs for people under a certain income level working on the exchanges, right? I mean, he's talked about that in a general way, or his people have, I believe. Yeah, there are two There are two different types of waivers okay. they'll be going after. One is a Medicaid waiver. The other is, um, I'm going to say it, 1332. It's a 1332 waiver. Um, <laughs> Good luck. That certainly <laughs> clears things up. Yeah. Okay, okay. No, no, no more code sections. Um, it, the other one is an Affordable Care Act exchange waiver, and so one of the things that has made in the past prices on the exchange rise so quickly is you've got people with very expensive conditions. It's the pre-existing conditions who get on there and they cost a lot of money. And so you can um, do things variously called a higher risk pool or other, you know, somehow subsidize the higher risk groups or maybe even insure them as a government and take them out off of that private pool so that you make it less expensive for the insurers to do that. The only problem is that's worked well in some places, not so well in other places. And the real definer there is, as a government, how much money do you put into it? So it comes down to the dollar again. 
What's the lobbying like on this, Andy? Well, it, it, it's in, it's interesting that uh, that I think looking at the hospitals and and the doctors, I I, I think that they are of two minds. One is. Uh, they realize the political arithmetic right now in our state. It's a Republican state, and Kemp has said we're not doing Medicaid. Expansion. Hence the people who have said to you, we'll take what we can get. We'll take what we can get. <laughs> uh, but there are certainly uh, many others who, who say, let's, you know, we need to do the whole thing. We need to expand fully Medicaid, not just a partial thing. Uh, uh, so I, I, I think you'll see. Um, There are going to be winners and losers probably somehow, some way, and uh, we'll just see how that plays out. I think the insurance companies are kind of figuring out, okay, how how are we going to benefit by this? If we can make it a little private and stuff like that. And just to be clear, so I know that the two of you are working hard and competing on, you know, getting your hands on whatever the governor proposes. But next week, we think the governor will put a plan out there and it's his plan unique to Georgia. But he has to get the okay from the feds, right? He has to get the okay from the feds. What he doesn't have to get is the okay from the legislature, because the legislature already gave him that. Yeah. And how is <laughs> the fe- how has the federal government behaved on these kinds of waivers? I mean, I, I mean, the the federal government, um, as it is right now, the Trump administration with this um, ally of Mike Pence in um, the health department, have worked very closely with Governor Kemp. They have a very good relationship. Um, I think the only question is um, it, when it comes out. There, there have been some cases in other conservative states where the final waiver got approval from the health department, but then got quashed by the White, yeah, by the White House. And, and Utah wanted to get the expanded federal match, ninety yep. percent, right. which is what Georgia wants to do. But they, but Utah said we're only going to do up to one hundred percent of poverty. And the Fed said no. Fed said no. Fed said no. Got to do up to one hundred thirty-eight. All right, we got to get to another break. One thing worth noting, I think it's interesting uh, that Ariel pointed out the legislature doesn't have to be involved anymore. The governor can make this decision unilaterally, and it is worth. A little historical footnote in terms of that. It used to be that um, the legislature did uh, play a role, uh, but uh, they well, it, it, they, but the but the legislature decided to turn the power all over to the governor on this, right? That that's correct. Although some legislators will point out, look, we got we got the we're passing the budget. If there's any money in that budget for this, you know, that's that's on us. But wait, at what? Wasn't there a point earlier when the governor did have control, when there was a concern in 2014 that Jason Carter might be elected the Democratic governor (laughs) of Georgia? The legislature took back control. But then when the Republicans got control of the uh, governor's mansion, they gave it back. Right. I mean, historically, that was a decision the governor would make. And then in a very weird political decision, he turned it over to the legislature, Governor Deal, so that they knew it would never get approved. Jason Carter... You're not going to get to make this decision. We're going to go uh, take our last break of the show and come back and touch on a couple of other really interesting health care stories. This is Political Rewind. I'm Christy Kent, the Director of Communications for the Georgia's Rome Office of Tourism. Our mission is to strengthen the economic prosperity of the community through tourism development. We underwrite with GPB because they create strong connections with our listeners through storytelling that is full of rich and meaningful content. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. On the next Fresh Air, Kevin Wilson, author of the new novel, Nothing to See Here, about a woman who takes over the care of twin children who burst into flames when they're afraid or angry. The novel was partly inspired by the terrifying images that have flashed through Wilson's mind since childhood. When he was an adult, he was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3, right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. 
Ariel Hart's looking out for all of you out in the listening audience. During the break, you said to me, if there's one more thing we can tell people about going and getting insurance on the exchanges, what should it be? Yeah. So beware of the uh, alternatives to insurance. So um, the Affordable Care Act exchange is open for open enrollment starting this Friday, November 1st. There are a bunch of alternatives out there, some of which are, uh, you know, maybe right for you, some of which um, maybe not. And it's tough to get good information sometimes. The important thing to know is they will not have to cover a lot of the stuff that any standard insurance plan has to cover. Thank you. Thank you for adding that. Uh, Andy, you you, uh, and a reporter at WebMD broke one of the biggest health stories of the year, I think it's safe to say, nationally, when you reported on the uh, medical sterilization plant, Sterigenics in Smyrna, BD out in Covington, that uh, the, the fact that they were emitting a toxic substance, ethylene oxide, that we have seen can't, the government attract to cancer clusters of an unusual magnitude. And for quite a while, it was difficult to get the state of Georgia to pay attention, especially first to sterigenics, right? Well, the, the government kind of, uh, the state government, actually the EPA as well, they kind of sat on this information uh, that, that came out last year. And uh, Brenda Goodman of WebMD and myself, um, you know, looked at what was going on in Georgia. And in fact, we have uh, some of these sterilizing plants that use ethylene oxide. And it, this gas is used to sterilize about half of the medical equipment and supplies that are that are need disinfecting and uh, and the uh, the census tracts there were three census tracts identified by the EPA here in Georgia that had elevated risk levels of cancer largely driven by ethylene oxide so uh, for a, I talked to a Cobb politician he said I knew nothing about this term until your story and now that's all I'm hearing about. Well, and what's interesting, of course, again, is that um, we've, we've, I'm glad we've had a chance to talk about your story on the show a number of times. But the big, at first, state EPD, the governor's office, they just sort of st- sat back and didn't get terribly involved in starting at sterigenics. Uh, there were people like Senator Jen Jordan and other activists who really pushed hard on this. And Cobb County was the government that first went to sterigenics and said, we're not going to tolerate this. Right. So the community activism has been very interesting to watch, especially in the Cobb County area. And and that has gotten the politicians involved and that's gotten the governor's office involved. And and it, to a surprising extent, I think the AJC recently uh, you know, did a story on that. The fact that here you have a pro-business governor and a pro-business gov- uh, administration kind of, you know, taking a hard stance on an environmental issue. They really woke up, Kevin. Uh, BD, the state, finally uh, went to court, was going to go to court, sue them to shut down the operation out in Covington until they cleaned up their act on ethylene oxide. And they they were able to reach a settlement to close the BD plant for temporarily. And we're not going to get into all the details of the, you know, the technical side, even the health side. It's just the state really woke up to this. It's interesting how they did. Right. And I, and I, I, I got to agree with Andy here. I mean, people's activism is what changed it. And it just shows that there's still a lot of power in people and voters. And really, when they mobilize to care about something and demand things of their government, it's a remarkable how quickly the state reacted. How has this felt to you? You know, it, it's a story that doesn't seem to have an ending to it. Uh, and, and I think that there will be a time in the future where where medical devices will be sterilized a different method. Uh, I think that's kind of gonna that's kind of happening. The FDA is trying to uh, encourage other methods of sterilization. They've got a challenge out there to companies to try to come up with new methods. And I so I think this will play out. 
in the future, and it's going to play out in different states as well. Illinois, we've seen it. We've seen it in Georgia, and we'll see it in other states where these plants are. Um, one last item before we leave. Just a couple minutes left, Ariel, but you wrote a piece uh, recently about the fact that these budget cuts the governor has called for, uh, 4% in the first year, 6% next year, uh, could have an impact on some significant, vital medical, uh, in some cases, research and others, actual services, studying maternal mortality rates, which are terribly high in Georgia, being one of the issues. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, as from an information perspective, we're just lucky that that got um, specified in the documents. We really are suffering from a lack of information right now about exactly what they're considering and certainly what they're going to decide to do in the end. We know Four percent is a lot of money, um, but uh, the governor's office uh, says, you know, we're still working on this, and so we can't tell you what we're considering. Nothing set in stone. I, I, yeah, that's what they keep saying. But the fact is that every agency knows this is coming, and so they're already, you know, what we've heard kind of um, uh, under the table comments about contracts that aren't being renewed. About what kind know, of services? I, I mean. And these are going to be, um, these could be services, these are agencies that do everything from tracking outbreaks oh. to providing services. I think one of the things that's really concerning is there, even though Medicaid is exempt from cuts, um, the uh, a, a different uh, agency pr- processes that paperwork and it's really strained already. Could those positions be cut back? We just don't know. Caseworkers and defects and things like that. I oh, mean, I worry yeah. about personnel and and whether there will be layoffs, yeah. or at least of part-time workers, if not full-time. Yeah, workers. I mean, the governor's office has said. I think they've kind of reacted late, a little bit late on this. They've said over and over again, more recently, we are not. We never wanted anybody to lose their jobs over these budget cuts. We were looking for other kinds of efficiencies. Well, maybe, but the cuts are deep enough, Andy, that. You, you can't avoid it. it. It may be. And uh, I worry about the defects caseworkers whose caseloads may expand. They may have, you know, 100 people to track, 100 kids to track rather than just 20 or something like that. I worry about that. All right. Kevin, we're just about out of time uh, for today's Political Rewind. I do want to, as long as we're talking about health care issues, one quick mention. Uh, I have not yet on this show congratulated the AJC for the extraordinary reporting that your team has done on uh, on the problems in assisted living homes uh, across Georgia. It's been a remarkable effort and eye-opening to an awful lot of people. And if folks out there have not read the stories, uh, they, they should. Uh, Carrie Snodgrass being the uh, Carrie I'm sorry. Yeah, Carrie. well, I, I didn't. Carrie encourage... Snodgrass was an actress who I studied with at the Goodman School of Drama. I apologize. Well, and, uh, <laughs> uh, we won't get into that little. Where do you? Flag, where do you? Uh, where can they find it? People can find that information at ajc.com/unprotected, and all the stories are there, and also the database where you can search uh, all of the senior care homes in the state and just find out what conditions are like there. It's been a pretty remarkable series. It's great work. Great work. Thank you. Well, that was really an interesting conversation. I'm very grateful to you, Ariel Hart, for being here. Uh, the healthcare reporter for the AJC, Andy Miller, Georgia Health News, thank you for uh, the great work that you've been doing as well. We're all gonna, we're gonna have to revisit this issue as the election uh, picks up. So I hope you'll both uh, come back uh, sometime yes. down the road and we'll talk more about it. You too, Riley, I'd like you to come back. I'm, I'm always happy to come <laughs> by if you, can, uh, if you can tolerate me. We are just about out of time uh, for uh, today's show. Uh, but I hope you're all getting paying attention tomorrow night. The Atlanta United, the Five Stripes, playing against Toronto for a chance to go once again to the MLS championship. And it's never too soon to uh, put on your Five Stripes uh, paraphernalia, your hats, your jerseys, get out and cheer on this remarkable team that's winning. Yes, I said winning an Atlanta sports team. I'm Bill Nygut. We're going to be back with more Political Rewind tomorrow at 2. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you.